Welcome to the Violet Ghost Train, where Halloween never ends, where Christmas Eve is always haunted, and where every summer's day ends in a thunderstorm. I'm your host, Crow Violet. Join us. Welcome to the Violet Ghost Train and an exceptionally special episode tonight because we have our first ever guest. And I'm terribly nervous about this. <laughs> like I haven't tidied the place or anything. It's there, there are bats everywhere. Tonight, I am delighted to welcome writer, musician and podcaster. In fact, co-host of the wonderful podcast RetroTube. It's Adam S. Leslie, everybody. Hello, how are you? Hello there. I'm fine, thank you. It is, ex- I am really nervous to invite guests around mm. to this virtual place. All this background, it's disgraceful. Yeah, there is everywhere, I don't slip in it. <laughs> I, see, I kind of imagine that RetroTube is more like the sort of why don't you warehouse kind of set sort of thing, friendly space with loads of things in it. And this is like the book tower or something. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> decrepit and damp. I hadn't really and thought things. about the the environment of it. Yeah, I, I'm just picturing my room in which I record. So that's that's my image for RetroTube. But I like the <laughs> I, idea I, that I, it has, you know, it has an environment for the listeners. Yeah, it could be different. It could be like the, you could have the, the blue Peter sofa in front of a white background. You know, could have that. That's a bit. That's a bit plane i used to like that you could have the adventure games along those lines <laughs> so and in, in a sort of gesture of of hospitality i suppose it's, it's customary when when one has guests in one's strange haunted virtual spaces to, to offer special things and what what i've offered you this week is something really horrible <laughs> i thought I, we, we we watched a thing and, and it, it's really nasty. I really, really, really creeps me out hugely. Um, this week, we both watched a, a drama that I'll introduce in a minute called A Child's Voice. We did. And we did. We did indeed. Before we get into it, did, do you know much about the background to it at all? Did you sort of look into its origins or anything like that? No, I deliberately sort of came into it as fresh as I possibly could. So I just essentially opened the link that you sent me last night and watched it in this very murky fifth generation YouTube version of it. <laughs> it looks like Yeah, you- it's yeah, it's not available anywhere at all. It's for the benefit of everyone who is lucky enough not to have experienced this yet, but you will. <laughs> um A Child's Voice was made in nineteen seventy eight by a small production company in Ireland for uh, one of the T V companies over there. I'm not entirely sure who. It often mistakenly gets cited as being part of the BBC's Ghost Stories for Christmas range, but it isn't at all, even though it kind of got a very loose remake, arguably, by Mark Gatiss a couple of years ago as Dead Room. Oh, really? Yeah, which is part of that. And Dead Room is part of that strand, so obviously it's it's got that association. But it's just to set the scene for everyone, it has that 60mm ultra-low-budget vibe that all the Ghost Stories for Christmas do, so you get the impression we're looking at. So 
do tell what what are your first responses talk us through a, um, a child's voice well the basic plot of it is uh it, it's starring tp mckenna who it's always great to see he's one of those people oh, yeah. that probably actually wasn't in quite enough it's always nice when he turns up yeah, uh, like and he's it. he's done Doctor Who and he's done Blake Seven, which are my two touchstones. But I actually mainly think of him as being Straw Dogs, which gives it an extra oh, sort of creepy association. I think. Yeah. T.P. McKenna with his fascinating profile. He really does. Very... He always gives the impression of wearing a cravat, even when he's not. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? He's a, he's a very interesting-looking <laughs> fellow, but he's he playing a. Uh, writer stroke storyteller who has a regular radio show late at night he's the final thing on this radio channel telling self-penned ghost stories and he writes a new one each week so every ghost story he writes is brand new and fresh no one's ever heard it before as they say as valentine dial says in the uh, narration the the ink is barely dry as he's reading these ghost stories in those days radio was a power and a light in the land people in their homes at night, gathered by the radio, and heard the crackling, stilted reports of a world they had only read about. One of the ghost stories is about a magician who tricks a little boy into performing a trick. He doesn't want to take part in, and then the little boy suffocates. And then for... No, and then for some reason... Uh, our man T.P. McKenna playing Rupert Ainsley McCready. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he gets... then starts receiving phone calls from a spooky, high-pitched voice. Indeed. I'm, I'm glad you say a spooky, high-pitched voice because it's very ambiguous as to who that voice actually is. Yes. Um, we're not, as usual, we're not going to spoil loads of this one. Though at the same time, I wouldn't want anyone to come to it and think they're going to get a huge Twilight Zone revelation at the end. Mm. You're not. You're just going to get your head messed with a great deal. <laughs> and it's really just a character study of, of, of McKenna's character being haunted by this voice which calls him and sings songs to him. And he speaks in a very sort of polite and controlled manner. Mm-hmm. And it's, I would prefer you not to finish the story, sir. It's really horrible. Yes, and I think what gives it that extra eeriness is because I wrote down the name Susan Sheridan, who it wasn't. Yeah. But it reminded me of whenever Susan Sheridan would play little boys in any kind of audio thing, and it was it was an adult woman. It's uh, the actress June Tobin playing this child. So it was a thing in the seventies and eighties to not hire children to do these voices, but to hire usually usually Susan Sheridan to put on a falsetto and it never quite convinces as an actual child and that gives it that extra sort of uncanny i think exactly i, I don't know if they're actually playing to that because at one point um he said he kind of says like this isn't this isn't a little boy who is this mm. and which it plays to our sort of uncertainties about is this actually not a woman ringing him or is it a child what is going on here definitely and- yeah and it just kind of explores his disintegration, doesn't it? It reminded me a lot of Whistle and I'll Come to You. It does, yeah. It's exact, very, very similar sort of feel. Yeah, which similarly has that kind of character that you don't see on TV very much anymore. And you perhaps don't get so much anymore, although I do meet a lot of them uh, working in an <laughs> academic bookshop. 
yeah. is essentially that type of very grown-up middle-aged men who talk a lot like this and talk in a very slow deliberate way and they wear a house coat when they're alone and they drink lots of spirits in small glasses and ah oh, yes and uh, tp mccann is only 49 when he's doing this so he's only very really? slightly older than us but he's very much a grown-up very much that sort of middle-aged man in the same way as oh um, michael horden's character in whistle and i'll come to you which is the you know the version that i've seen but yeah, it is quite a slight a, plot wise it's quite a slight story but it is about quite a dignified and respectable middle-aged man unraveling yeah and i get because I, I i'm trying to avoid spoilers as i say but there's not really a lot to spoil somehow. No, it doesn't really um, have a twist in the tale does it not at all a lot of the details are kind of front loaded as well i just i don't know if i'm reading too much too much into it there's a little bit where valentine dial's creepy narration talks about um mccready's sort of reputation as being this much beloved public figure mm. and i almost think it's, there's a, it's deliberately done to sound quite ironic as if as if there's some great secret that he's hiding that we're going to find out but if there is we never do and what one of the things I wrote down was it feels like a supernatural revenge story, but we've never actually seen what the crime was, if this, there was one. This is what I thought as well. It sort of plays as a morality tale, but it isn't one because the guy hasn't done anything wrong that we know of and we're never told about him, actually. No. So he's telling this story about this child who suffocated during a magic trick gone wrong, and then he's essentially tormented possibly by the ghost of the same child from this story that he's just made up anyway so yeah. he's just invented this he's not te as far as we know he's invented this story he's not retelling something that's actually happened although maybe he is but that's not made clear uh yeah so this this child is ostensibly a character from something he's made up that week who has gone back to haunt him so i think if this was being told now it would be a manifestation of some kind of guilt that of you know this story is maybe actually a metaphor for something he's done and he's accidentally killed a child so you know in that kind of last episode of mash way yeah or yeah i could see it as being an inside number nine kind of thing where there's a big reveal that the story is actually about him and it's, it's just yeah encoded absolutely but it's just not mm. so we just get this story about this slightly pompous man who is horribly destroyed and suffers a terrible fate for no apparent reason for no reason whatsoever it's like yeah this supernatural force decided to destroy me and he's not even um, unpleasant in the way that michael horden's not. character he's michael oh. horden's character isn't unpleasant but he's very very annoying and very self-regarding but yeah. rupert ainsley mccready actually as as actors go he's all right He's, okay. he's pleasant yeah, towards he's the staff that he works with. He's he's slightly yeah. full of himself, but he's the star of his show, so he has every right to be. But he's not unpleasant towards anyone at all. Oh, he's great. And he's living his best life. Yeah. He goes home and writes ghost stories by candlelight <laughs> exactly. while drinking sherry and eating biscuits. Mm. <laughs> God, yeah. wrong and then profession. The, the radio staff are clearly fans, and he indulges them. You know, he doesn't, like, flounce off at the end of his show and says, I'm, you know... I'm out of character now. I'm yeah. going home. Screw you guys. He he indulges them with more ghost stories and that all those sorts of things. So yeah, he seems like a relatively decent guy. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really strange when 
these things happen. And perhaps that's a sign that our sort of cultural approach to ghost stories has changed a little bit. Because nowadays we always assume there has to be a reason why bad things happen to people. Mm. Perhaps that says that about our culture generally, that we've reached a point where there has to be a reason why this is happening. Whereas in this, it's no, it's just much more, in some ways, much more like real life. Like, yeah, bad things happen to us sometimes and we didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, and and it is a really bad thing that happens to him as well. <laughs> it's very... Yeah, it's just not nice. No, it's very bleak. <laughs> really? It doesn't... I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about exactly what happens at the end, but it's not a nice, satisfying final... No. It, it doesn't have a finality like, to it. Not at all. And it's not like he has his throat ripped out by a monster in kind of M.R. James style or anything like mm. that, is it? It's, 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 it's very much the sort of thing... Again, I'm going to skirt around it. I would advise everyone to watch it anyway, but it's sort of, it's the kind of thing one can imagine actually happening to yourself if you were really unlucky. Mm. It's sort of a fate which we fear might await lots of us. And which again brings that ambiguity to school. Was, was any of this real? Was this just the sort of a sort of internal situation? Yeah, you could almost sort of couple... read it as being like a manifestation of a medical thing, like he's had a stroke or something like that. And it's a, you know, yeah, some kind of. I thought that as well. It, there's a few lines here that start, because I've seen it about three times now, and there's a couple of lines of dialogue that I think are sort of trying to give us hints. There's one point where he's talking about the magician and his story, and he says he's been doing it too long. He's begun to believe in his own tricks. Yes. Which I feel is a reference to his own work, maybe. Mm. And um, when he's on his own in the house, before he gets the first phone call, he looks in the mirror and says, you can always talk to yourself if the silence becomes unbearable. Yes. And I kind of think that's almost like a, a summoning or an invocation to whatever it is that turns up and starts tormenting him. Which sings songs down the phone line at him sometimes when he takes the phone off the hook. Yeah, I, I like that. Like that was that. creepy. <laughs> that's really horrible. Because it's, it's quite I... out of key. Yeah. It's not perfect singing by any stretch. Why not, indeed? It troubles me a great deal. No, and the song it sings is something about there were two birds and one bird flew away or something mm. over and over again. No, <laughs> yes, I couldn't quite make out something? the lyrics, which made it, <laughs> gave it that sort of yeah. unsettlingness, it, unsettling fogginess. Very much so. It, it seems like it's a song about two birds being parted forever, one left and one stayed behind. I'm thinking, is that supposed to hint that there was <laughs> there was something in the past that he's feeling guilt about? Don't know, because they don't bother to tell us, and I don't really mind that. It's almost like it's come from a short story which has got lots of background detail and lots of information, and whoever's adapted it has just stripped all that out. Yeah, absolutely. It, it reminds me in, in... I thought that. It's like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. bizarre that's the biggest strangest comparison but um <laughs> you know the, the original the sentinel and the and arthur c Clarke's novel 2001 the sort of two sources of the film they give you they explain everything mm. like every last detail that's mysterious in 2001 the movie is explained very clearly and this is happening because of this and these are the creatures that are doing all this whereas <laughs> kubrick just goes like yeah yes. hotel Wouldn't you like to giant know baby <laughs> yeah my my thought was a bit like um blade runner versus do androids dream of electric sheep where oh yeah although that's not necessarily a mystery 
based thing it's the book is incredibly dense and has lots and lots of world building details and it's it's a lot more complex in terms of actually what's going on in this strange Fildickian world whereas in Blade Runner it's just much more of an environment in which a sort of detective plot happens but not quite so it's a lot more of an empty environment yeah more of an empty space for it all to happen in but the book is extremely dense oh yeah absolutely there's so many plot lines and details in the book yeah um, and like you said the film is just this huge empty rainy space basically which is kind of why it works yes i think so if they, if they tried to adapt the book as it stood uh, i think it probably would have just been too much yeah, completely. Um, I like it when adaptations strip things out, but we should specify, of course, this isn't an adaptation of anything. It all just feels like it, it does, is. Yes. It, and that, that makes it seem even stranger because watching it, I kept thinking, have I read the story this is based on? Was it in sort of like the pan book of ghost stories when mm. I was 11? No, it wasn't. It just came out of nowhere. And I believe um, the author whose name I wrote down have now lost, hang on a sec, uh, David Thompson. I believe David Thompson never wrote another film before or since that's his only sort of film work i believe wow. which is creepy enough as it is yeah. like yeah i'm just gonna make this one drama about the end of creativity <laughs> and then not create ever again Blimey. okay i mean yeah, in a way but... you could say if if that's all he has in him is just a creepy child's voice on a phone and not much else then he's yeah. he, he's got it out of his system at least yeah he, he finished on a high yes and... I it, it really gets me because I one of my phobias not or not phobia it's because a phobia is a really serious thing mm. one of my intense dislikes are um sort of in landlines right yes and telephones and they have always scared I think Mike because I um as I constantly go on about I am I have autism and ADHD and I've got quite intense hypersensory issues. And the phone I grew up with had that, you know, that, that the bell, the ringing bell, ringing, yes. and it would ring and it would make me jump. And sometimes, you know, phone ring, phones ringing late at night is a horror as well, because that, that's never anything good. No, so I don't have a landline, but I think we've sort of lost that and possibly in a good way <laughs> with mobile phones. Yeah. You can switch your phone <laughs> off at night, put it on silent. Yeah, not... Absolutely. And... I'll sit a group chat at 2am. Fine with that, mm. but <laughs> not a phone call. And when it is a phone call... But obviously usually the name comes up on the screen so you know who it's going to be but it's always that unknown when a landline rings particularly the old-fashioned yeah. type that don't that has no kind of screen at all oh so they, is this going to be just... like my friend peter ringing up saying do you want to come over to play is this going to be a relative saying that another relative has died it could, it could be either end of the spectrum and you never uh, know until this... you pick it up Anything at all. Te phones are really, really, really creepy. Old-fashioned phones, absolutely terrifying. And this short film does something. Also, to someone on my other phone is about phones, which is the sound of the dial tone. Mm. I used to hate that when I wanted to try and creep myself out when I was young. I would lift the phone, lift the receiver, and listen to that dial tone, oh, really? which this film plays around a little bit. And it's a really creepy noise. There's, there is something about an analog phone the sound of the just the audio from it which again you don't really get so much on a digital um you know mobile phone or something like that it it does sound like the the sounds from it either the voices or the tones are coming from some alternate dimension or the bottom of a well in 
medieval times, oh. or they're coming from somewhere else. It's very otherworldly where the sounds are coming from. Oh, absolutely. You just, you just, and you, you get the impression, you know, they always sound to me like wires because that literally physically is you are connected to a piece of wire yes. and that's what you're listening to that could go on for miles and miles and miles, obviously. And it, old fashioned phones sound like that. They are intrinsically haunted, aren't they? They really are. And not to freak everyone out about this one, but I, one of my many, many obsessions is collecting sort of urban legends, supernatural events. That's going to be, not going to be a surprise to anyone listening to this. <laughs> and it was in some old back issues of 14 times from about 10, 15 years ago. There was a spate of people sort of telling a story. I don't, who knows if these stories are real or not. But a number of people from different countries had a similar experience, which is they basically had the child's voice experience in reality, not the sort of horror blending, mm. as in getting weird phone calls late at night from a, a child's voice who just kept repeating the same sort of few statements over and over again. Oh, goodness. And it happened to sort of three or four people in different countries over like who didn't know each other and then wrote in with their stories, which I just <laughs> found, I don't want to think about it too closely, just the weird phraseology and the sound of the haunted wires and everything is immensely yeah. creepy. And of course, the other thing that telephone wires do is they sing when there's a breeze. <laughs> 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 they do. That was always. That's always a really creepy thing when you're out on the on a windy day and the telephone wires are going. Ooh. It's like, no, don't do that. Yes. On top of everything else. Oh yeah, because there's a bunch of there's a telephone there's a telephone pole really close to my house. The wires go in above my bedroom window. <laughs> and when I first moved into the house, it wasn't windy for two weeks, and I live alone so in this large, slightly echoey house one night, and they started making that noise. Oh, no. I was out of bed like a shot. <laughs> Where's that? Yeah, and I, so I, I sort of heard the noise of the cables moaning in the middle of the night when I first moved into this house. And... It was a, that's an interesting thing because it was a really sort of primal childhood fear because the, the image that leapt into my brain, given that I first moved in here at sort of the age of like 39 or something, yeah. but the image I got in my brain was like a, a, a ghost with a sheet over its head, like a, a <laughs> it, moany, like black eyes and a moany, moany mouth. It's very much that sort of sound, isn't it? Very sort of, yeah. just a high-pitched, tormented wailing <laughs> in the night. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Still wakes me up now and again. Still not used to it ten years later. (laughs) And of course, uh, one of the RetroTube episodes we did was Interference, which is very much about (laughs) that sort of thing as well, on television and telephones, both. Yeah, I'd I'd forgotten that. I I would strongly recommend everyone... um, You've got more more listeners than I have, anyway. (laughs) People... My, my two or three listeners go, go over to RetroTube and, and listen to the Interference episode. It's creepy because that, that's a horrible series as well. Yeah, that's really weird because that's for children. This is one isn't for children. That one's for children. And I think, I if anything, Interference is the scarier of the two. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, this this isn't so much... It is scary, mm. but it's kind of like... It's more, just, it, it's more horrific just because of what happens. And as I say, the fact that that's... It's not without the realms of possibility that any one of us could have these sort of experiences. Yeah. Not horrific in the same way as Michael Horden getting pursued by a, a scary bedsheet thing. But still, that, that's 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 like a more that's like a preferable version of horror. <laughs> I think the I must just step. What on. I find the most horrific about the Michael Horden version of that is his reaction, his acting when yeah. he actually does see the ghost and the way. Uh, in, 
there's nothing else oh, no. quite like oh, it. Oh no! Yeah, he starts yeah, making sort of very high pitched whimpering noises and yeah, just, and then just just saying oh no over and over mm-hmm. again. Oh, I, I showed oh. that to some friends a little while ago, and one of my friends was uh, was, was consumed with like unreasoning hatred for how annoying Michael Horden's character it is, is incredibly in annoying. To you. <laughs> yeah, she was just like, I, I cannot take any more of this. And just um, the sheer rage. I, be- I believe she's had to deal with a lot of philosophers over the years. Yes. That, that might be why. Well, I, I work in a, uh, like I say, an academic bookshop close to a large university. So I meet these people on a daily basis. <laughs> you just walk around mysteriously going, yes, yes. And just thinking of chuckling to themselves at some amusing thing they've thought of. But, but, but what do we mean by by bread exactly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if if the guy if the guy in child's voice is more like that, I'd I'd be a lot happier about what happens to him. He's <laughs> just not. He's just a nice guy yeah. with a cool house. Yeah, he's just a bit old in the nine thirties demeanor. But yeah, he's generally all right. Yeah, and he is he is just... quite a. Is he a lonely character? Because he does seem to be a bachelor. He does seem to live alone in quite a large house, talking to a, a picture yeah. of him as a young man. I think that's the point of it. I think that might be what they're kind of getting at, because he, there's a whole, like I said earlier on, there's the line about him saying one can always talk to oneself. And then he, he spends most of his interactions are through either the studio microphones or talking to the audience or over the phone with the weird ghost woman's voice, mm. woman ghost child. So he, he's completely isolated, which is largely a cost-saving measure, yes. to be honest. They could just shoot T.P. McKenna for an afternoon. But isn't it dark? Yeah. I mean, it's like we said, it's a fifth-generation copy of something, but it's still, it's all shadows. No one puts a light on in the whole thing. <laughs> yes, it's it's dark in terms of what happens, and it's dark to look at. There is no lightness in it at all, and even there's not really any humour particularly either. No, that's I I don't always get a long solo with that. By the same token, I'm not a fan of like sticking in a a fancy Marvel esque one liner every two seconds. No, that Uh, can really torpedo things. I think that um, someone described it as Whedonisation. Yeah, the post Joss Whedon thing of everything has to be a bit flip and a bit. Yeah, scripted. everything's ironic. Yeah, f- witty in a scripted way. Yeah, and making drawing attention to your plot holes by saying, oh, this would be a plot hole if this was a film. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like the 15th time I've seen you do that, it's not quite as clever anymore. Yeah. But at the other end of the scale, you've got, I don't actually, this this is humorless, I think, I think that works. It's not quite down, sort of the other end of the scale is something like UFO, mm. which is like, there are no jokes, apart from occasionally like, God, women are funny, aren't they? And that's about it. <laughs> Um, I do love UFO, but it's not great. I've never seen it. I, uh, that has to be one for RetroTube, I think. I was oh, I was about oh goodness me, right? Yeah, you, you guys need to do that. <laughs> that would be you. You need to have that experience. Yes, <laughs> it's really good. If you can't, I'll send you copies just to hear your reactions to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's one that Heather has watched. Is it an? Is it one of the live action live action Jerry Anderson? things yeah it's a precursor to space 1999 oh well, heather might know it then because she's a big jerry anderson head oh, i mean not literally a big to, jerry yeah. anderson head because no, that's wow. quite a, a big wobbly one on a string yeah she might not be too happy about that i've got to tell you <laughs> i would think um i'm just 
looking at this horrible. I'm just looking at the last of my notes for Child's Voice. And I've got, I've kind of talked about everything I wanted to. There's a moment where he's one last line of dialogue where he says, You're nothing to do with me, which suggests guilt again, mm. but I don't. I, and um, it, what, it, my, my, I've got loads of notes say things like, My theory, and then it just makes no sense what I've written afterwards. But the last thing I've written down is overall, this is messed up and wrong in capital letters. <laughs> oh, I won't Which disagree with that. <laughs> it's marvellous. I would absolutely recommend that everyone watch it and then send me letters of complaint, basically. <laughs> As several people already have done. And I've got loads of these. I, I intend to inflict them on lots of people, different, you know, various horrible things that I've found over the years. I don't. I think we might need to step away from a child's voice for a bit, which is not a phrase I really feel comfortable <laughs> using. But never mind. Um, it's horrible and it's wrong. Please go and watch it. It's quite easy to find copies of. I think I'll leave that there for a moment because I'm, un I'm unsettled. But we'll turn to scary television a little bit later on. I think because obviously this being on um, on the ghost train, we also like to talk about real life spooky things and. One of the things I want to try and do when I'm lucky enough to have guests here is to ask them for opinions or for stories or anecdotes or anything whatsoever that is remotely creepy or un uncanny in general. And Adam, I know you've you had a few suggestions, things you might want to talk mm. about, but I've deliberately not asked you any more about it. So what when I asked you that, when I sort of set that challenge for you, what what sprang to your mind? Well, I'm not someone who necessarily believes in ghosts, but I am fascinated by what gives us psychologically gives us the creeps, what you know, what manifests in our minds as being ghosts or something uncanny or unsettling, and what brings that about, and those sort of things mm. that gives us that, that chill down the back of the neck. That is like, uh, you know, what, why is this happening, and what are this, what are the conditions? to bring that about and is it the same in everyone and everyone's own perspective in that but having said that i have a couple of instances of from very early childhood um things i can remember but my mum later saying that she felt it was a, a haunting or a ghost related thing uh we went to a holiday cottage i can't remember where i was quite young my brother was in his cot when his yeah he would have so he'd have been about somewhere between zero and one I'm about five years older than he is, so I was, I'd be about that age. Um, right. and we were in this holiday cottage, and I thought it was fine. I had no you know, lasting thoughts about it at all. I found this um, little badger or brooch, I think it was a little brooch, which was a small log with a little green bug on it, a little green beetle, which I thought was rather cute. So I, I just found it in the house, and I kept it and took it home. Right. And... A little while later, my mum found it and said, "Oh no, you didn't keep that, did you? Like, oh, I hate, I hate that place. I hate that cottage and that, but that little bug really reminds me of it." And there was something that had happened. She felt that that the place was haunted, and and my, you know, you have on children's uh, push chairs and cots those rattly toys that are strung along a length of elastic. Oh, so that yeah. you can boing, boing, boing them. The children can do that. It entertains yeah. them. Apparently that, during the night, just started rattling about of its own accord. Yeah. Like, and he was in the bottom. <laughs> oh, no. He was asleep in the bottom of the cot, so it wasn't him doing it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that apparently really got to my mum. 
and so she really and, and... took against this cute little and it is a cute little thing as well it's not like a creepy victorian thing it's this this cute little green beetle on a little pretend plastic log but she really took against still... that do you still have that i do somewhere yeah yeah unless <laughs> she's secretly thrown it away but I, yeah i have it somewhere i don't have it here it'll be back at my parents house wow. But yeah, I... this is the setup for like a this is the setup for a horror story. You do realize <laughs> it's, it's basically the monkey's claw, plain. isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, you, the haunted badge. Oh, good grief! Well, I was, I was, for a horrible moment, I thought you said something followed you back to get the badge back, but that's not. It's all right. That's fine. That was that could have been horrifying. Yeah, I don't know what it was drew me to keep it. I think it just because it was cute. I just took to it. Yeah, it might have been exactly. I might have been directed towards it. <laughs> directed to take the take the take the badge child. But there's another. It's not quite how it is. Of course. There was another occasion we went to the circus in Grantham. We were living in rural Lincolnshire at the time, and it's very rare that uh, the circus would come to town. That's a very old-fashioned thing. Just that phrase, <laughs> "the circus yeah. comes to town," is a very old-fashioned thing. I've been to the circus yes. twice in my life, and only once as a child. And this was the only yeah. occasion. So we went to the circus. And it's not really a circus-related story, but I remember, just remember that being the same day. But it sort of adds mm. to the, the, the sort of the weirdness of the situation. And then I think it was set up during the, through the school. I think the primary school had got us tickets. I think there's lots of my classmates there and possibly even teachers. Uh, but we lived out in the villages. We didn't live in Grantham. We lived sort of five to seven miles away. Yeah. Uh, so we got the bus back. The bus, incidentally, would drive right past where Moondial was set. Oh, Belton, Belton House. House. So he would have gone straight Belton, past yeah. on, the, on the bus. Love Moondial. Yeah. Um, and we lived in Carlton Scroop, which is a tiny village. It, it was so small, it didn't even have shops. It didn't have a proper pub. We just had a social club. And back in those days, this is early 80s, so in the mid-80s, it finally got street lighting. Yeah, but back in those days, you got off the bus, and if you forgot to bring a torch, you were just, you were plunged into the oh. void. <laughs> you, you couldn't oh, see anything. This is this is why I'm horrified of the countryside. <laughs> Do go on. And again, before mobile phones, obviously, so you couldn't just have the light from your phone or anything like that. And it was also this thing of being going from the very bright, fluorescent lit bus interior with all the people and the driver and the engine noise just to suddenly be on your own with two young children in the absolute pitch black. Oh, good grief. And oh. we, were want, we were walking back down the lane towards the house and my mum says that she could see someone floating near our house and walking across the road. <laughs> I remember oh it. I remember it being our next door neighbour. Um, ah. But she says that there wasn't enough light to see anyone. It was just too pitch black. We couldn't possibly have seen someone. I, th And he seemed to be floating above the ground. Oh my goodness. I'm wondering whether, because it, it might have been also been foggy, and I'm wondering if maybe it was the light from their doorway was illuminating only him. Oh, or if it was foggy, it, it could have been um, oh, the, the kind of fog bow effect with like the, the Brock Inspector where light transfers onto fog and projects like a sort of hologram right. effect. Possibly. Yeah. Why am I the one that's sort of given scientific explanations to the spooky <laughs> stuff? When did that happen? Probably because that story just creeped me out and I'm desperately <laughs> clinging to something else. 
But it's one of those things as well. I think it, there's that extra creepiness because I can remember remember both things. I can remember the staying in that little cottage, and I can remember coming back from the fair, from the circus mm. rather. Walking, I can yeah. remember walking down the lane and seeing the figure. But to me, neither of them were spooky. But it was just that that secondhand spookiness of my mum finding them creepy or thinking they were some kind of ghost related or haunting related thing and that sort of has that creepiness it's it, i was almost like because i was quite a scared child i wasn't a blasé child by any stretch of the imagination but it was i was almost like it almost feels like i was a horror movie child you know you, in horror movies you get the child sitting in the corner saying mummy the lady with no face is talking to me and she's telling me to hurt myself. I like the lady with no face. She's kind. It's that kind of thing. Where in real life children, they see a rubber glove and they get hysterics. Oh, but dear. it was almost like, I was like that. I was just blasé. Just oh, walking down the road. There's Mr. Spenlow crossing the road. And my mum was like, oh, who's the ghost? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, you, and you're right. I think sometimes like the... There's a huge gulf between what scares children and what scares adults. Sometimes yes. there's crossover and sometimes there's really not. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, some, yeah, the things that frighten us as children are sometimes things like, you know, a, a sock in the wrong place mm. or something. Again, I've got autism in case that wasn't obvious. <laughs> but, um, but whereas adults will pick up on, on fears and adults bring sort of their own sort of cultural dynamic and their own terrors to a situation mm. whereas a, a, a child might notice something completely different or interpret things very differently but that's a really evocative the sort of walking home as a kid's bit of it that's because that is such a, a common experience for so many of us when you be even with your parents and there's that sense of vulnerability yes because it's just there is there you have to keep on walking keep on going till you get home there's no way to skip this you have to just endure it and we sometimes pick up on our parents nervousness which so. particularly yeah. in the countryside as well when you can't even like get be you know be under a street lamp or go into a pub or knock on a neighbor's door or that sort of thing it's just absolutely absolutely in the middle of nowhere yeah that's why it scares me <laughs> and i think my when dad we young, was maybe yeah. not home because my dad worked away a lot in typical yeah. children's drama style this is, who was writing the life at this point? I remember my mum. This isn't a spooky thing. This is just an alarming thing that um, I remember my mum telling me about. That again, I have no memory or recollection of. In the early in the early eighties, we had no phone. We had to go to if we wanted to call anyone, we had to go to the local phone box, which was probably a twenty twenty five minutes walk away on the other side oh, of the goodness. village. So we didn't even have a phone box nearby. Yeah. So one evening, my dad was away somewhere. It mm. was the middle of winter. We were snowed in. Uh, we all had the flu, all three of us, apparently. I, like I say, I have no memory of this. Is what, this is what my mum said. So my mum had the flu, and me and my brother had the flu as well. Proper actual feeling really bad for, for, with the flu. And then, to cap it all, we had a power cut. Oh my goodness, someone really was writing this, weren't they? <laughs> so we were freezing, we had no heating, because we had electric heating, we didn't have gas. Oh yeah, We had no heating, no way to phone anyone, no light, no way to heat food, and my mum was too <laughs> ill to really do anything. 
Oh my god. And we couldn't contact my dad and he had no way of contacting us. Oh. So we we were just essentially living on a desert island at that point. Oh no, this 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 isn't nice at all. It's some wolves turn up next or something. <laughs> yeah, we we heard a howling <laughs> coming oh, up the driveway. <laughs> no, we didn't. But that would have been yeah. It, it it was essentially like living in the old west. Well, that sort of thing, being pioneers and being completely oh, out goodness. of your element. That's horrible. Yeah. It's a very, very children's TV setup for a story. It's very, very much for setup for a story there. Mm. We, as when I was a child, um, we didn't have much money, so we used to go and stay. When my uncle's family were away, we used to go and stay in the the cottages that they lived in, which they were they were renting because my uncle worked abroad and the family lived abroad most of the year, and they'd rent like these really old cottages in Herefordshire, and we went to stay in one, and sort of me. Um, my parents, I don't think my sister was there on that occasion, and quickly became mindly aware, sort of vaguely, that people seemed a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. And it was only some years later, when they'd long since moved out, and I was a bit older, everyone was like, yeah, that house was so haunted. Wow. <laughs> and you, I was like, we just didn't tell you, because we knew how scared you'd be, but everyone <laughs> saw things and like saw things move, <laughs> all sorts of stuff going on. And I was completely blasé. I was like, yeah, it was a really cool house. It's like it's like sort of a TV series. It was great. And yeah. Though I do remember being in the back garden there and one night and looking out the hillside opposite and the adults sort of saying, like, Oh wow, what's that? And seeing some really weird bright lights up on the hillside, like sort of amongst the trees. Huh. And the next day we walked up there as like a as like a big party with my uncle was around at that point. And we went up there. And discovered it was it was a sheer cliff face we were looking at. There was nowhere for these lights to have come from. And they were massively bright, strange, eerie white lights. And I can remember that really clearly. And I can remember my uncle, who was a very sort of practical, kind of hard head sort of character, just sort of basically having no way to interpret what hmm. just happened at all. And that was the more unsettling bit. I wasn't yes. bothered by the weird lights, whatever they actually might or might not have been. But it was unsettling because the adults were clearly sort of non-plus. And you expect answers when you're a kid, don't that's you? That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. If, if the adults seem freaked out, then that's when you have license to be freaked out properly. Yeah, because they, they can't quite defend you against whatever it might be <laughs> at that point. And you suddenly have a revelation about the way the world works. Like, oh, hang on. <laughs> Everything's really scary. It's not really. So another thing on my list, uh, yeah. sort of moving away from more ghostly stuff, and I, I painted my mum as being somebody who's very sort of, you know, seeing ghosts and things like that. But actually she's not really because she is, I don't know if she still is, I don't think so much, but she's quite prone to night terrors and night hallucinations. And I have yeah. been as well. And I always find yeah, that they're sort of, a thing that you could either see as being night hallucinations or possibly ghosts. I mean, my, I remember my mum uh, telling telling us about the Victorian boy at the end of her bed. Oh, grief! <laughs> Which I think some people would see, you know, would say was definitely a ghost, but it was it was a you know, a yes. night hallucination. Yeah, it's not a nice thing to hear, regardless of <laughs> it's a ghost or not. But I, I, I have been prone to those occasionally. I always think they're quite creepy things. Uh, particularly one i had uh well i'll tell you about t two more recent ones uh, this is from some okay. years ago but when i was a grown-up um uh multicolored lizards jumping up and down out of a uh, a bath plug hole that's an impressive image yeah and it's interesting because 
because it's a waking thing it's sort of half awake but it's just still conscious so i can be aware that i'm seeing something that is sort yeah. of hypnagogic but i'm awake enough to be able to look at it and study it and go oh that's a weird thing to be floating in the air in front of me and later it does oh, seem dreamlike but at the time it isn't that hypnagogic thing where you still think you're experiencing normal reality even though you're having some kind of you know some image in your mind or some strange sentence but this is a thing where yeah. i am ostensibly fully awake but seeing these lizards jumping up and down going huh there's some lizards <laughs> that's a curious that's a thing very to be... prograph album cover that is that's that's yeah <laughs> uh, and another thing was uh, i woke up once and there's this enormous probably 20 centimeter long very slow moving wasp flying around my room with big trailing dangling legs Oh my uh, goodness, and I, that's horrible. So I bolted out of my bed, went downstairs, probably went to the loo, got myself a glass of water, and I, and I got as far as sitting on the sofa watching TV to to, to calm my nerves before I started to think, nah, that, wa that yeah. wasn't real, that couldn't have been. Because it was pitch, there's no way I could have seen it for a start, it was pitch black. But it was still a, yeah, a real exactly. effort of will for me to go back upstairs and go into my room and get back into bed so it was I'm it was surprised. my rationality fighting against what my brain thinks it had seen yeah because when you wake up from night terrors even though you know rationally what's going on you, you've sort of inherited the fear of your sleeping yes. self and you wake up with all that installed in you all that adrenaline <laughs> going on and it's hard to get rid it of is. and again like waking up from a proper nightmare if it's if like if you wake up in the middle of the night from a nightmare, it's fine if it's the morning. It's like, oh, it's okay, the morning. But if it's still like 3 a.m. and you've had a proper nightmare, actually yeah. leaving your room to go to the kitchen or the bathroom or something like that can be a real effort of will. Oh, it is. It's, it's huge. It's, it's just like sort of you, you kind of, it's very much a sort of situation where it's like, okay, right, this is me against the night right now. <laughs> Pretty much. Sort of get yes. through this. Every light on, every light on. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, that's the that is the time that I come closest to doing that sort of the, you know getting in touch with someone at that point in the morning. You know, just 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 want a word if you're awake at all. Yes. That's why I like to know people with insomnia because like, <laughs> I can get in touch and say I've just had a really horrible night, yeah. Tara. Um, and some of mine are really unimaginative. I don't get the lizards jumping out of bathtubs. I have just had like you know dead people coming around the door something. Which <laughs> I mean, like, could you not just put something more surreal in there that's not as hideous yeah it's something charming something whimsical like multicolored lizards jumping yeah right no it's a big horrible deathly revenant thing oh, uh, why is my brain like this the one I, that really oh. stuck to me the one that, that properly freaked me out because I was little I didn't I wasn't particularly prone to them um, when I was little but I, I knew about them because of my mum having them but excuse me um we would go to visit my grandparents in scotland every summer mm. and we'd all have to yeah. sleep in the same room so obviously in our regular house we all had separate rooms but staying around my grandma's house we were in this big the large bedroom but the trouble was my dad would insist on having all the lights out normally in, in my own room that we'd have the landing light on and that would shine through the door so I'd have a bit of illumination, yeah. but it would be absolutely pitch black. Uh, and I remember oh. being in my bed, and it, and because I'm not a, a heavy sleeper, all the rest of my family are pretty, 
decent sleepers, but I'm always wide awake after the rest of them, so I'm I'm wide awake in bed. They're all sound asleep, and there is a long-haired man with no face crouching beside <laughs> my bed. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And it, it's that kind oh, of... God. It, it's that sort of late 70s, early 80s long-haired man. Sort of like oh. a young man, long hair, kind of leather jacket, sort of thing, or denim jacket, maybe. But he's crouched oh, beside God. my bed, and he's got no face. So thanks. <laughs> wow, that's... Ball power sapphire and steel. Oh my god! And genuinely, I think for the next decade, I always had to have. I wouldn't sleep unless there was a light source somewhere. I'm not surprised. And I knew I didn't think it was a ghost. I didn't think it was a real man. And I think I was more scared of what my brain was capable of. It's like, well, if you're showing me this, what else are you going to show me? Oh, oh no, I don't like that at all. Oh goodness me, though. You used a phrase that I don't think I've heard used in that context for years, was keeping the landing light on. Oh, right. I was like, oh, suddenly, suddenly I'm 10. Yeah. The lights on. Oh, People didn't me. really have the plug-in night lights so much back then. I think it was just keeping the landing light on and getting it shining, shining under the crack of the door. Yeah, just in case. Mm. My parents, because I... I'd quite, I went through a little phase. Normally I was fine with the dark, but I went through a little phase and I got really scared of the dark. And my parents, blessed them, came up with the solution of trialling a, a dim red light bulb in my room, which is <laughs> <It's> just horrible. Because <laughs> everything just, it was like being in hell. At least you could develop photos. Everything. I did, yeah. I was just like, you just got the developing trays out and started, you know, getting some <laughs> negatives. But oh God, it was horrible. So I had to, then face, do you turn the light out and be in the dark with the things? Mm. Or do you sit with everything red lit and then slightly migraine inducing? <laughs> oh, bless them. It was a nice plan, but. Yeah. Oy. Crumbs. Yeah. So I've got a few yeah. more on my list. I don't know how many you want. Go. Anything you feel like talking about, I, I'm, I'm happy to listen to all, all the strangeness they ever want to go through, as long as you feel up to talking about it. Yeah, well, them, definitely. It's, always, it's all fun. There's no traumatic. This is all the fun oh, stuff. Um, absolutely. Yeah, another one which fascinates me, and it's a thing that's fascinated my uh, longtime friend Peter, who was also uh, on an episode of Retro Tuesday. Uh, yes, there was an episode of me uh, <laughs> chatting with my friend Peter, who I've known since the late 70s since we were both about four or five. But we're both fascinated by childhood fever. And oh, that okay. sort of hallucinatory world you can get into, which I, I actually looked up and the technical world, the technical term for it is Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And it's that thing where things can seem too small and too big at the same time or too far away, but right up close at the same time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I haven't had it for a long time. It is a childhood thing. And I think it's not necessarily even necessarily coincides with fever. I think sometimes maybe it's just your brain developing and getting bigger and growing and it's causing like jarring of reality and perception. But yeah, these horrible long nights of... Because we had the, the wood chip, the magnolia wood chip wallpaper, of course, that, the ubiquitous. So you'd see of all course, the regular patterns. Course. You'd be making out the faces in the wood chip wallpaper. But it just seem a really long way away all of a sudden but also really close up oh, and it's yeah. just a really horrible feeling yeah that when these sort of if you see a pattern as if it's from a distance but obviously you also know that it is just a pattern of wallpaper mm. two inches from your face yeah or um I've had that experience my my sleepy blanket 
No, you're for mm. sucking your thumb with, and it had knots in oh, it. Yeah. And I remember the knots that like holding them in my hand, and they just too seemed too small to hold on to. Ooh, they seemed re- just really that's... tiny, even though they're the same size as normal. They just seem really, really tiny, and I can't hold on to them because they're too small. That's that's a deeply unsettling image in itself. Things, perceptions that shift like that, yes. and the fear that we're not because we are just our perceptions, and then suddenly being realizing that they're not that reliable. And the other one was when solid objects seem to flinch. We do tell. That's, so specifically, yeah. I remember the bars of my brother's cot. So again, I must have been a similar sort of age as the holiday cottage event that my brother would still be in a cot. And I remember, for some reason, age four or five, I gave it a name. I called it the Chaps. It's got the Chaps. The chaps? Yeah, okay. I don't know why I called it the Chaps. But it it was yeah the the they seem to flinch, and oh. the only other time I've heard this described was uh, Graham Chapman from Monty Python describing um, getting the detox from yeah. his alcoholism, and he described objects as flinching or, or like doing the W. C. Fields sort of that sort of flinching reaction to things. Oh my and I think he specifically like mentioned W. C. Fields the way that he would kind of. You know, turn around and be that kind of comedy jump when there's somebody next to you yeah. that you weren't expecting. It's that kind of that era of comedy, uh, and I totally that totally. I totally got what he meant because that is they did seem to just be, just suddenly flinching these objects, so that was always really horrible. That is, yeah, the, the idea, the idea, of any sort of um, inanimate things coming to life is a big childhood horror anyway, isn't mm. it? So. Even if they don't do anything, the idea that things might be able to move when you're not looking at them. Yes. And not that ghosts are moving them like an adult might assume, but no, it's actually come to life. No, that's, that's the thing, thing, isn't it? Yeah. Or even worse, it's just moving. <laughs> There's no reason. Yeah. Not even it's, it's not even come to life. It's just moving. Yeah, it just moves. <laughs> like the... Um, you know is wrong. There's some nice bits in the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas film where the, the pattern in the carpet appears to just be oh, shifting yes. and flowing and all that yeah that sort of thing where it's just it's just moving oh gosh yeah that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense the patterns and carpets do that as when you feverish also patterns and carpets form shapes and do odd and horrible things yes oh they're still doing you know i was at the theater the other day we, we were at the theater and the the, the carpet and the crucible theater in sheffield it's a lovely theatre, but the carpet, Mike, we, we were struggling to walk across it because it was giving us both vertigo. <laughs> it's a really bizarre sort of, it looks like it's, it looks like a magic eye picture you walk across. <laughs> it was very hard to get downstairs safely. Yes. Oh, you, it's to prevent people from getting too drunk. I presume so. <laughs> like, it, it actually created the effect of being drunk yes. while I was a coffee, but, you know. Um, oh, another thing I wrote down and I sort of quite enjoy although not necessarily at the time is when you just really get you're reading something or watching something late at night and it really suddenly gets to you and gives you proper like I think often the one that does it for a lot of people is uh, the Max Headroom signal interference event whatever that's called yeah and and anyone out, anyone listening who's, who's not aware of what that is, 
get onto YouTube, look up Max Headroom Broadcast Signal Intrusion, and maybe don't do it if you're feeling emotionally fragile. But do it at, say, one in the morning. Oh, yeah, actually, that's a good one. Yeah, 1 a.m. When, maybe when you've not slept enough. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a good one. It's like listening to number that's, stations as well. It is. Have you ever actually found a number station by accident on the radio just without realising? Probably. I don't remember. Like, probably not consciously. Yeah. I did used to like to listen to shortwave, but before I would have known what was out, you know, what was on there, what was out there to be heard. But there's a. I only ever found one once, but it was it was creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite a just a, hearing recordings of the Lincolnshire poacher going round and round and round, or just the, those disembodied voices. Twelve, yeah. seventeen, forty-three. In amongst all that fuzz and fizz. Oh yeah, but there's a yeah, there's a couple of moments I really remember that really got me like that. I mean, one of them I don't go into too much because it's not really that much fun and it's quite a recent thing, but it's the video of Elisa Lam, who they did a documentary about, uh, and it's it's obviously somebody having severe mental health issues. It turns out, but just seeing that video in isolation, again late at night. Yeah, that was just it's, a horribly just just uncanny. It's just this, this this shouldn't be happening, and there's no explanation of why she's acting like this. Yeah, absolutely. But, it's and it's it's disturbing, and yeah, and like you say, it's not much fun because it's a really tragic story. Yeah, but, but the one that is a bit more fun, uh, and this mm. was when I was just started out as a Beatles fan. I got this big Beatles book for Christmas, so I was up late reading it. I think it's called The Complete Beatles. Oh. Um, yeah. And they started talking about the whole Paul is Dead rumour, which I presume most people would know about. But if they don't, there was a rumour that went around that Paul McCartney had died in a car crash in 1966 and had been replaced by a stand-in, a lookalike, who, sometime, yeah. who somehow also could write really good songs and also sing exactly like Paul McCartney and also play instruments really well. I don't really know. But there's there's people that still believe this against all good sense or and yeah. intelligence. I don't really understand. Very much so. It's very odd. But this was the first time I'd heard of this reading this book. And the book, I think, just assumed that people would think, oh, that's obviously nonsense. So the book didn't really attempt to debunk it at all. It just presented oh, what the grief. clues were supposed to be. So, yes, this is the other thing. There's supposed to be clues on album covers and in songs. So the bit towards the end of Strawberry Fields Forever where John says, Cranberry sauce. A lot of people uh-huh. hear that as, I buried Paul. Uh, and uh, there are many things yeah. it's it's worth if you haven't experienced it which i'd imagine most people have these days but it's worth looking into because it's it's quite daft but it also daft. It's, but but when it's not yeah. been debunked because the author's assuming you're going to find it silly so it's just being presented straight when you're seven and it's nearly midnight and you're sitting up in bed reading this that really crept up on me <laughs> that really gave me oh, the horror. Yeah, hugely. Completely, completely, completely. And this, this, um, I don't know, there's some sort of Beatles connect. Yes, the Beatles sketch that's freaking me out. And I'm going to kind of be circumspect with this one because I'm hoping to get uh, my sister as a guest. Uh-huh. And we have, but, but at one point, when we were kids, we watched 
uh, we watched a short film. I'm not going to give details because I'm going to try and do an episode about it later on. We watched mm. a short film, BBC Two, one night, which was the most terrifying thing. It was not. I'll, I'll give. I can't be non-specific. It was Laurel and Hardy murder case, which you can find on YouTube, ah. which scared the living daylights out. I was in the house on her own. Mum and dad had gone out for maybe 40 minutes. Yeah. And I was about six. My sister would have been about 12. It scared the living daylights wow. out. And it was immediately followed by the only showing for decades of Magical Mystery Tour. So I just associate still to this day, <laughs> Magical Mystery Tour associated with being about six years old in a house on a windy dark night with like the threats of like horrible black and white murdery people stalking about. And yeah, the, the Beatles have maintained that feel of unganiness <laughs> we ever since. So I think Paul is dead and Paul came back as a zombie. That's what's going <laughs> that, on. Yes. Laurel and Hardy did some quite creepy films like Babes in Toyland is quite creepy. Oh, I don't like any version of that at all. That whole story, it's been mm. remade loads. It's never nice. It's not. And there's one, we're having a slight uh, Laurel and Hardy diversion here. There's one of their films that ends with them being outright murdered by, they're playing yes. police officers and they just get casually shot to death at the end by their superior. That's I being know, annoying. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, and he comes back in with a gun and says something to the effect of like Big Two Graves or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he says <laughs> it's, it's really he, horrible. He says call the coroner or something like That's that. That's it. That's what he says. So, oh, yeah, so, so I, yeah, we shouldn't talk about it because it's one that you're gonna. Oh, it's it's fine. We just about. But yeah, want to be me and my sister talking about. <laughs> yes, he's <laughs> become he's he's their superior and he's become so irritate, irritated by the antic their antics that he see, takes one look at them pulls out his gun they do their like kind of comedy panic thing run off screen he fires two shots after them and then says call the coroner or words to that effect and it's like he's just murdered them that's not funny (laughs) it's not i don't always find laurel and hardy that funny as a i find there's a lot of sort of the creepy and the the violence that's there (laughs) that's present and their sense of powerlessness really frightened me as a child i do like them i do find them funny but it's just occasional things like that i think it's just sort of it's 1930s sense of humor i think they had quite a violent sense of humor in the 30s particularly american humor i think was possibly quite violent yeah Depression era and post World War One still, yes, and that sort of lost generation feel. I guess, yeah, we've, we've got quite a different attitude. To, if you also get the Three Stooges, which is a case, essentially three middle-aged men beating each other up for laughs. Yeah, poking the eye. What could be funnier yeah. than poking the eye? It, I do it doesn't make me laugh as well. I hoot. <laughs> Comedy violence and yeah, the musical. I could wander off on a tangent with this for a very yeah. long time. I think. Um, that might be a good point. Sorry, do you want to? Yeah, go on. Oh yes, I was just going to mention coincidences as well. I, I oh yeah, do the quick, coincidences. Yeah. Um, I have a couple. I it's one of those things I like hearing other people's, and it, not just sort of obviously not just slight coincidences, but those wild coincidences where you're like, how could that possibly have happened? How is that? Yeah, where just the world seems to have aligned as as, as a Bonzo Dog Band lyric. Uh, from the song Canesham, which is there are no coincidence, but sometimes the pattern seems more obvious, which sort of sums it up a bit. Uh, So the slightly milder one, uh, we were in, we were somewhere in London, I think we were in Uxbridge or somewhere in sort of the outskirts of London, well away from where we live. This is when we lived in uh, North Buckinghamshire, again in a little village. Of course. And we were were walking around uh, deserted 
so it was yeah it was it was out well away from the city center of of ox of uh of london Does, is it yeah. called the city center like central london that's the word the for se- it. yeah we, central we, london. we were well out of central london well out into the sort of the obscure end of nowhere completely deserted streets and then just this this chap walking along the street this teenager mm. and I was like, oh, he looks familiar and it was the guy who sat next to me in class and also lived in the same village as us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> just, oh, there's Scott Edwards. Deeply <laughs> What's he doing? Why, Scott, Ed- Scott Edwards came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, the chance, what are the chances of those sort of things? The coincidences are deeply, they're sort of reassuring huge coincidences mm. synchronicities, aren't they? Just suddenly makes the um, world seem that little bit smaller in a reassuring yeah. way. And now I've experienced a lot of them, and I went through a phase of writing them all down, and I could not tell you what a single one of them was <laughs> right now, but they seem very significant when they happen. Yeah, a friend I, of yeah, I I forgot this this next one. I forgot this for a long time, hmm. uh, and it was such a weird coincidence as well that yeah, that kind of when I remembered it years later, or you know, not year because it only happened like maybe three or four or five years ago. But I thought about it later and thought, oh, yeah, that why why did I forget that? That was really that's a very memorable thing that that should have been very memorable. So I was I've got this this friend, Evelyn, who grew up in the Midwest of the USA. Uh, but more recently, I think probably about 10 years ago, she got married and moved out, moved out to L.A. to be a uh, filmmaker with her husband. Yeah. So I was chatting to her on Facebook and of course, when somebody's moved to LA, you talk about earthquakes, and she, she was yeah. talking about earthquakes that you know the, the 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 rumbles that she'd experienced. And I typed the words, you know, I don't think I've ever experienced an earthquake. Guess what happened at that very moment? <laughs> and this is that's absolutely true. Oh, that's amazing! It's just like a, did, did you a proper? And it was a proper shudder. It was you know, I, I, p- people may remember it was quite a big. For the UK, it was quite a big earthquake, and it's probably four or five years ago, maybe. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I didn't. I, I, so I didn't slept through that one, mm. but I remember it happening. Yeah, it was probably because she's eight hour different, so I, it was probably quite late at night for me. So it's probably sort of midnight, one o'clock, something like that. Oh goodness, that's that's an excellent time. It's just beautiful. Yes. It's impeccable. The universe responded to your call by <laughs> shaking the entire crust of the planet Earth <laughs> to answer your question. We should try that with some other things. <laughs> you know, I've never won the lottery. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I've, mind you, I've never <laughs> entered the lottery, so there is that. Yeah. I think you kind of have to work with fate yes, on that one a little so. bit, possibly. I'll tell you one last ghost one before we move on. Go on, then. This is Go the on. last one on my list. Uh, this is... Okay. This is... Uh, you know how when you're watching the news and you get the sort of the light-hearted and finally story... Yes. So I was walking around the North Buckinghamshire village rather than the Lincolnshire village. I was walking around my parents' uh, village uh, around about yeah. twilight. It was a bit misty, a bit foggy. It was that proper half-light, crepuscular light where you can't really see anything properly. And oh, yes. I was walking back down Perry Lane and there was a figure walking up Perry Lane towards me. And as this figure was getting closer, it gradually became apparent that this was a a Civil War cavalier in full cavalier oh, uniform what? with the boots, the big hat, the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. Walking towards yeah. me, and I just thought, huh, well, there's a ghost. 
<laughs> quite calmly and so I'm walking towards this yeah. figure and I'm like oh well I'm just going to keep walking down the road towards this chap this 17th century yeah. cavalier okay as we got closer it's like clomp 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 all right all right I, I walk past and I'm pretty sure it was just a reenactment bloke on his way home from a battle you'd hope yes well we wouldn't hope you'd be out. I don't think ghosts clomp and go all right all right, yeah. Oh, I can imagine how many people he must have scared on the I way know. home in that game. <laughs> Which is probably why he was doing it, to be honest. Probably, with you. actually, yeah. He said, I could I could get, could have got changed there, but now I'll drive home like this. Oh, my word. It reminds me of, there's, I don't know, I don't know how reliable this is on any perspective, but there's a legend or a story from the late 1980s about a cemetery in, in South Wales, which is haunted by a kind of ghostly vampiric vampiric figure mm. this kind of brooding gothic presence this tall skinny pale man and it was many years later that dave vanian out of the dam said we were recording at a studio near there at that time i'm not sure it wasn't me <laughs> I, I looked at it did it did kind of coincide when they were recording an album really closely cemetery it's possible suggestion it was just dave vanian going for a walk it could well have been me and Peter oh, used to try dear. and synthesise spooky events for other people. I don't think it quite worked because we were children, but we had this idea of late at night sitting on top of you know the the, death, the tabletop gravestones playing chess. But I, th- I think when you're nine, it doesn't quite have the same effect. I think no, I actually think it might have more an effect. To be honest with yeah, you, like, yeah, I'm going to skirt around that. I'm going to walk away if I see that happening. We're like, nope, 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 <laughs> not going to do that. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, that's my spooky event. That's my long list of spooky events. They're excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that list of genuinely disturbing and nightmarish, uncanny events. See, everyone's got these. And the more of them we can bring to the public and unsettle more people, the happier I'm going to be, basically. So we're going to finish off with our our last little segment, which has also potential to to go on a bit. Probably. Yeah. My, I keep trying to think of an alliterative, alliterative title for this segment. Half remembered horrors is what I went with last time, oh, yeah. which actually annoys me now, so I might not do. <laughs> but this is our section about the things that used to scare us in media when mm. we were young. Last week I talked about um, Look and Read specifically and the animations in Look and Read, oh, yes. which horrify me beyond imagining. And just as a note for anyone who was expecting an audio clip from those last week, the BFI have locked those down for copyright regulations <laughs> like you would not believe. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't post any clips of those, alas. But um, so I was wondering what, so what would spring to your mind when presented with that, your, your, your biggest childhood creep out moment from TV or film or any form of media, really? I think it's juxtaposition for me. Like Look and Read, actually, Look and Read, I found, it wasn't one of my big ones, but it, I found it unsettling, the fact that it was these quite often, sometimes sometimes often quite scary or threatening dramas juxtaposed, juxtaposed with learning to read very basic words. Yeah, definitely. And the, they only use sort of, they only use a minimum of 80 words, the dialogue, which means the dialogue is very stilted yes yes if we tell anyone they won't believe us they'll think we've made it up yeah and it's always about kidnappers and you know it's it's never 
just about I, I've lost my bike where could it be let's look around the village till we find it. it's about here's some criminals and these children have stumbled upon them doing their nefarious deeds so they're getting kidnapped absolutely here's an it, aliens howling in a cemetery <laughs> not a cemetery in a, in a quarry <laughs> yeah. and they really do howl they make this weird alien uh -huh. sort of weird alien howly noises and they've all got thick pasty makeup on <laughs> So I think most of mine come from that sort of juxtaposition because I grew up watching Doctor Who and Blake Seven and finding them scary, but being okay mm -hmm. with that because I knew they were supposed to be scary. It's Doctor Who, that's scary TV. I know there's going to be monsters. I know there's going to be explosions and people getting killed and goo coming out of people and things like that. So that's fine. Absolutely. That belongs there. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. And the fact the only one that really scared really really scared me and this this is one that comes up a lot for a lot of people when you say what's your scariest memory of doctor who city of death oh best one then yes the the jaggeroth taking his mask off and also professor kerensky getting turned to ashes and skeleton oh i know exactly where i was when i saw that for the first time earlier on i mentioned my uncle's haunted cottage in herefordshire yeah. I was there oh, no. watching that. Nineteen seventy nine. Coincidence. Yeah. Um and I remember going outside to stand in the garden afterwards and being slightly unsettled. Yeah, that is I it's think it's horrible. I think I, I definitely remember seeing it once, possibly twice, I think it's been was repeated. The summer rerun, yeah, because yeah. that's when I would have seen it because it was still daylight when I went outside. Uh, yeah, but I think yeah, I think I remember seeing the, the mask revelation twice, possibly. Yeah. So that was good, but that that's that's still in Doctor Who world. So it didn't, although that was like <gasps> that's scary. It didn't disturb me. It didn't follow me out particularly because it belonged there. So the things that yeah. really got to me were the things that was generally supposed to be light entertainment or light com comic drama. Yeah, um, one of the earliest uh -huh. ones. I forgot to look this up. I can I can tell you exactly when it was. One of my scariest childhood memories happened on Friday the 26th of January 1979 at about ten past seven. That's ridiculously precise. What was it? And this was a broadcast of a Wonder Woman episode called The Deadly Toys. So I would have just turned in January... I would have, I was born in, so I would have just turned five. I was born in yeah. November 1974 and I just turned five not long ago. And the episode opens with a scientist in a room with other scientists. They're all wearing white coats. And this scientist is giving some kind of a lecture. Or he's, he's talking yes. to the other scientists. And then he starts to feel woozy and he starts to sweat. And then his face melts off. Oh, And fantastic. he slumps over the table and he essentially just melts. So, oh, my goodness. I, I think I must have howled because I remember my mum reassuring me. I think normally my reaction to these things was me just sitting quietly, but I think I possibly howled on this occasion. Because <laughs> I remember my mum reassuring me, he's just an android. It's fine. He's just an android. But I didn't really, age five, have any concept of what an android was or that people couldn't just suddenly melt. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not getting addressed in primary school as a concern, does it, really? That's a problem. Uh and oh, so that really that scarred me to the extent that 
anything that sounded a bit like the the Wonder Woman theme tune would give me the chills. So I shot the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, I think the um, Eric Clapton version, which was probably a hit around about that time. It's tonally, it's a little bit similar. At least it seemed it to my child mind at the time. So I would even find I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton a bit creepy. It's got the, it's the same key. Sheriff. It's the same kind of intervals, I think. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Wonder Woman thing, you know what I'm going to, you know what's going to get cut in here, clearly. You know what I'm going to edit at this point. <laughs> she can't listen to it back. <laughs> And I have watched oh, okay. it since, actually not long ago, because I just it took me a long time to find it on YouTube, and yeah, it, it it all came rushing back, and I didn't watch the rest of the episode. I just saw those first couple of minutes. Yeah, we must have watched Wonder Woman quite regularly anyway, because I still associated the horror with her as a character, even though I hadn't seen her on screen for that episode because yeah. she didn't, doesn't appear until a bit later into it. But I obviously screamed the house down, so we switched it off. <laughs> Those episodes, I remember an episode of Wonder Woman where some people were killed by a dehydration machine that turned them into mummies. That was really, really, like, really violent and quite a disturbing edge, I think. I mean, I've never rewatched Wonder Woman since. So we're talking 40 or so years ago, because I'm even older <laughs> than you are. But, um, yeah. It's a bit like that Star Trek episode in which people get turned into, like, salt cubes. Oh, yeah, that bring that that comes back to yeah, me that one like, that one bothered me when i was little as well yeah there's there's a belief on the part of filmmakers and tv censors that if it hasn't got actual blood and gore involved mm. it's fine but it's often the concept that that really bothers children i think it is, it is things that trouble us and things being changed from one state to another yes the melting face thing i think it, bear in mind when that was made, I think it was a, a sort of breakthrough in Hollywood that they worked out how to do that effect because there's a whole spate of melting films <laughs> from the mid 70s onwards. Right. Oh. Like The Devil's Reign, The Incredible <clears throat> Melting Man. There's another one named Escapes, and then obviously stuff in TV like this. Mm. I'm guessing they just got a job lot of whatever it is that makes faces <laughs> look like they're melting and they just need to use it all up for it when it off. So another um, one was early top of the pops not early as in 60s but early as in for me yeah. and i think because when you're that age you don't when you're a bit older you can differentiate the fact of, or you can sort of discern the fact of why music videos are spooky it's it's a creative decision to illustrate the music so it's all part of the fun of yeah. it really so sometimes you'll get you know, one music video might be Wham dancing around a pool and the next music video might be David Bowie in a straight jacket in a padded cell. Mm-hmm. All on the same... So you're watching Top of the Pops and it's a party atmosphere. There's balloons, party hats, and everyone's going, woo, and cheesy DJs. And the cheesy DJ says, nah, no, still at number one, it's Ashes to Ashes, David Bowie. And then it's this utter yeah. nightmare. <laughs> oh, Quantelled, um yes, it's Piero's walking about with bulldozers. It's really properly horrible that one. Very, very unsettling. Ashes to Ashes did it. Um, the other famous one, which of course got me, was uh, another brick in the wall, with the, yeah, the, the children going through the meat grinder, particularly the meat mincer, and the yeah, big inflatable and that headmaster. Was, again, 
let's just throw that on TV at a set quarter past seven. Yeah, anyway. party time. Oh, right, Yay. just to finish off the Mixed party, the here's some animated children going through a meat grinder. Hooray! I was I was scared. The kids are in the video, aren't they? I seem yes. to have bailed them and been intimidated by them as well because they were all sort. Of, they underlit. They were all sort of London. They were Londony, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. They they were quite Londony. We don't need no education, and yeah, they were looking at another grainy sixteen millimeter film. And then the animated marching hammers, the big, giant inflatable Gerald Scarf teacher. Oh, did a documentary about the teacher who. It was quite a good thing. It was a few years ago. They had this particularly inspiring music teacher who was a bit of a rebel and a bit of a rascal. And it was him that I think he either knew Pink Floyd or he just turned up at the studio and said, you want some kids because I've got a music class. And that's how they got into the record is that they had quite a cool music teacher. And so there's this half hour documentary on TV about it. That's quite really sweet. Cool. Yes. That's, that's, yeah. that's a, that's that's a, a nice non-creepy addendum. thing. It was quite, it was quite a sweet documentary about how, the, how cool their music teacher was. Uh, and also just those really so music videos like um dr hooks when you're in love with a beautiful woman or ian jury's hit me with your rhythm stick i found that quite creepy just the idea of him asking to be hit with a stick i found (laughs) unsettling but there's that sort of 16 millimeter murkiness where if you don't light it properly or maybe they are lighting it properly maybe this is what they want then Mm. the backgrounds are just this inky Blake 70 sort of void yeah. where it's just some musicians and then they're sort of in half shadow and then it's just an, just this impenetrable void behind them and I've always found that a bit unsettling yeah everything's very ill-defined yes it's, it, it's just and it's it, it's I think what unsettles me most about television when I was younger is the feeling that it things aren't in the normal world yes Nowadays, TV makes a huge effort to try and achieve verisimilitude as much as possible, mm. even when it's sort of fake and it's using exaggerations to create the fact. But in the 70s, especially in low-budget productions of any kind, it was just... You just got this sense it wasn't... It was it was like watching someone's dream. Yes, I think so. I, th- I think it is the, the combination of 16mm film, which is not really anything like reality, and then the excessively bright studio environment often with some kind of fringy CSO effect going on Mrs Farrell's CSO kitchen and the sense where I, I feel sure that that you and Heather have talked about this before which is the feeling that all the sort of TV shows that you watch are part of a shared world and if you wander off the set of Take Heart to Show My Age, which was an art programme yes. for our younger listeners, um, <laughs> that you'd end up on the set of something like Why Don't You, which was a children's entertainment show for our younger listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this idea that the BBC Centre yeah. contained all of the programmes Contain- all of the time, so they didn't strike the sets between shows or between series. They just were in individual rooms, so you'd just go into the adventure game room, not knowing that this yeah. was Studio 3, where they also filmed Doctor Who and Nationwide, or that sort of thing. Yeah. So you could, yes. That, yeah, I think we did sort of touch on that, that you could, you could. it, it was part of your childhood environment, sort of this space yeah. within your brain, your imagination, that you could leave adventure game set and walk onto the top of the pop set, and there'd be Simon Mayo, and then you'd walk off that and into... Six o'clock news. Into Blue Peter, of course. TV land, like this place. I I used to have nightmares. I used to dream about it. I used to have like actual lovely dreams of wandering around TV land because I've always been like this. But I also used to have nightmares about it where there'd be be scary things in there hiding away. 
I think this is something um, that uh, Tim Worthington's talked about, this idea that also that it used to be cultivated in a way that sort of particularly like characters like Terry Wogan who would talk about Auntie Beeb and this idea that it was a big family and you just pop yeah. into the control room and just, yeah, just... And you'd often see people arriving at the big, iconic television centre building or you'd, you're coming to... Here we are at Studio Six. And this, yeah. this thing of building up a... Uh, you know, building up an environment. Whereas ITV, you didn't get really get that because it was fairly disparate between these different uh, services and diff the different regions. But the BBC liked to, to cultivate a centralised yeah. thing that it was all happening in one building and it was all... Everyone rolled their eyes about the BBC canteen. Absolutely. And it, we, we know the phone... Everyone knew the phone number to ring up as well, which is one number. 0181 that's the one, <laughs> London W twelve eight. That's it. Still got How it. How do we know this? It's the address for government building in the nineteen seventies, <laughs> and yet it's completely scorched into our minds. <laughs> because we watched, uh, we watched Saturday Superstore and Swap Shop. We did. We oh, watched, one eight yeah, on double shop. one. No, anyway, oh, one eight. That's... <laughs> eight five, yeah. and never did call that number. I never did. No, not at all. And we we couldn't afford the phone calls in those days. <laughs> We're poor, poor. But I, th and... I think, um, yeah, I think watching TV generally of an evening, similar to Top of the Pops, it was that unsettling variety show where it could be blankety blank next, it could be the nine o'clock news where it's grainy sixty millimeter film of a war zone or a disaster, you know, some buildings collapse somewhere. But yeah, it was all was under what? the same umbrella. It was the same menu. And yeah. then after that, we'd be watching a comedy show. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a weird. There was no sort of sense of there was sense of trying to convey a particular feeling or mood or tone. And I'm I'm really anti sort of false nostalgia because talking about this, I find it fascinating. I love talking about it. I never feel massively nostalgic for those times. Yeah. I think false nostalgia and this rose tinted spectacles approach and. I love to talk about this point in history and about media and the creepiness and the sort of hauntological sense of it. But it's not very nice. And I'm really glad I live in the modern age. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel comfortable. I think this is why I'm fascinated by it. It's not a comfortable part of history in some ways, I and mean, a part of cultural and media history. It's overall very, very it has a creepy edge to it. Definitely. Yeah, I think I mean, I I agree. I think I enjoy... I'm nostalgic about it, but in the way that it's the sensation of nostalgia rather than, like, the slightly more unhealthy, oh, they were good old days sort of nostalgia. Yeah, Because it, it was a time that I wouldn't want to live through again. It, 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 culturally, uh, and in terms of technology, and in terms of... Uh, just not enjoying being at school. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think also we get to enjoy most of the things, you know, just in terms of culturally, music and TV. So, oh, music and TV was way better than people might say. But from the perspective of now, we still get to enjoy the music and TV of back then, plus the music and TV of now as well. So, absolutely, it's win-win. Win. We get to have BritBox, but we also get to see the new stuff that's coming out. Yeah, quite. I don't want to live in the past at all. And no, it does. 
that's my sort of childhood fear, I suppose, in that kind, in that time, which is, I, I'm, I'm going to run out of material to talk about on the show ever again. <laughs> but um, just the sort of feeling of emptiness that filled TV and media when I was a mm. kid, it felt like it was full of spaces and gaps and absences. It's aesthetically interesting to talk about at a distance or to think about or to evoke at a distance, but it's not something I would want to, yeah, like you, I wouldn't want to live through it again. And I, I think there's definitely a dark side to nostalgia is when it, it becomes that more reactionary thing, almost sort of, yeah. you know, like the Brexit nostalgia of, oh God, you know, we yeah, should go absolutely. back to when things were great and it's one of my endless frustrations i have to say this is a this is a bit of a deviation from the subject but it's an endless frustration of mine any clip of any old thing on youtube uh it doesn't matter how yeah. old it could be five ten years ago there'll always be a number of middle-aged blokes going oh not like the crap they show you nowadays it's all that woke nonsense they're shoving oh, down your throat so this is this is when it was like your real yeah or you know and any music before 2001 it's like ah, oh, this is real music not like that justin bieber crap they shove down your throats now oh, <laughs> people uh, yeah absolutely someone commenting on i'm i was looking at this for, for someone commenting on a clip of kenny everett saying oh yeah he'd be shut down he'd be cancelled straight away nowadays to which my response which i, I can't avoid arguing with people but it's like yeah because this is rubbish <laughs> Myself and uh, uh, one of my friends were just looking through loads of archive material recently for a work yeah. thing, and we were horrified how rubbish Kenny Everett is. Really, really, really unfunny. I mean, and I think just... that's because I think he's still quite highly regarded, and that's probably blasphemous. But I never liked no, Kenny I... Everett. I mean, he seems like a really nice fellow, but yeah. at the time, I never found him funny. And I've seen clips since, and it's it's I, not funny. No, it's, I appreciate it more now than I did well, then. But I think, yeah, I think he'd be cancelled through not being funny rather than not being politically correct enough. Yeah, a number of reasons, basically, yeah. all which are equally valid. Mm. Sort of bringing it full circle, in a way, back to A Child's Voice, where we started out many days ago now. <laughs> I, I think one of the other reasons that A Child's Voice is creepy, even though it's set in the 1930s, it sort of taps into that feeling of... TV that was limited and media that would stop and that sort of very spooky sense that there is a close down that there's an end to the evening's TV and it will stop and the screen will go black Yes, a, a test card girl and a clown might appear <laughs> and yeah they, they make a big point of saying that um, the narrate the authors McCready's show is the last one on the air at night, it's the last thing that's transmitted mm. and I remember that feeling of being seeing the final programme and the, the fade to black and you can look at closed downs on YouTube and they are really, really disturbing. BBC Two closed downs, go and find them on YouTube, everybody. They're really disturbing. They're really, really creepy. Yes, it's that final national anthem, often. Yeah. And then just nothing, just the void. Yeah. There's there's a strand of 1970s BBC Two closed downs. I can't believe I'm saying this in front of an audience. <laughs> And what they used to do was they'd read a poem and then they'd show some slides and play some electronic music. There'd be no national anthem. Oh. And there's one that I, I'll try and put a link up to it somewhere on YouTube, which is it's um, Gabriel Wolf, Sue Tech the Destroyer, 
reading a poem about ghosts and death, and <laughs> invisible forces that surrounds at all times, over a montage of shots of the Lake District in the fog, <laughs> followed by a minimalist electronica track, which is playing over still like fading slideshow still photographs of a clown mobile. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds almost too good to be true. <laughs> I, swear, I was I had to double check it wasn't mate. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like someone had faked up. It was hilarious. That sounds great. It was so so funny, and just I'd love to have seen that. And that's what TV felt like: mm. big, echoey, haunted, and quite feasibly full of sort of ghost children's voices. It would not surprise me. Yes. Can I give you one last um, of unsettling course. TV memory? Go for this it. One, this is one you don't hear mentioned much. Uh, and it, this wasn't full-on frightening, but I just didn't like it and it bothered me. It was uh, Who Shot JR? Okay. Because that was very showbiz, light entertainment. It's very Terry Wogan got... Uh, he he got into it a lot and it became this big thing for several that. weeks. Yeah. Ago. Like, Who Shot JR? Who Shot JR? But the actual bit in Dallas where jr gets shot it's very dark like lighting wise it is it's this very dark murky environment of a a man being shot by a mysterious figure and it's not fun like it's the whole thing surrounding it's this fun thing who shot jr Ooh, what a fun mystery this is but when they actually i didn't i didn't mind them talking about it so much but when they actually showed the footage and they didn't show it very often as well i think that possibly added to it made it that little bit illicit yeah anyway, i think they talked about it but didn't show often but maybe two or three times i actually saw it i didn't it, it bothered me that it would, we're being entertained and it wasn't again it wasn't like in doctor who where it was suddenly being exterminated in a studio set and they go all negative image dalek thing and there'd be all the wow the screams and the pyrotechnics and whatnot it yeah. was just a dark room of a man being shot and quietly slumping to the floor absolutely and you because we were seeing that as a as a sort of thing on the news or on nationwide or whatever yeah. to really date myself they would be seeing it out of context basically it's just like they just keep showing a 30 second clip of a murder from our perspective as children <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like that's not nice in a dark room. Random guys getting shot. No, yeah, it's, it's, I think I did. We're left with the fear. I, I definitely, I, I did know it was true. You know, I, I knew it wasn't a real murder because I remember when. Because I think TV news, and this is a whole other thing. TV news was a lot less careful about what it showed back in those days. So you would see some genuinely horrific things. Yeah, absolutely. And so I could, even at a very young age, I could distingu distinguish between pretend violence and real violence on TV. And there were some horrifying things that I saw when I was little on the news. But even just, yeah, even just the context of this thing that I knew was from a drama show, but Terry Wogan and everyone else, it's like, it was, it was a fun thing. A it's fun not, game. It is, it's, it's, it's making jokes about... To a child's perspective, it's a bunch of adults making jokes about what seems to be a dare. Yes. In a in a dark room for no re for no apparent reason with no motivation mm. behind that we can see and we don't understand Dallas because frankly Dallas is a bit boring. <laughs> and and it's not a, a 
again with Doctor Who, the context as well is that it's space and spaceships and weird costumes, whereas this is just a man in a suit in an office. Yeah. It's just normal. It's real life. You're in the dark and someone shoots you. Beware. (laughs) These things can happen to any of us. So, yeah, that one troubled me. No surprise. Marvellously murderous (laughs) note to end on there. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you very much. You've been our first guest, which is like, that's a, that's a big deal for me, that is. I'm going to put you on the spot now because I know you can never do this on RetroTube. <laughs> Where can we find you, Adam? Yes, Heather always does the uh, the RetroTube socials. Um, but yeah. you can find us. I mean, the main thing is the podcast itself, which is called RetroTube, and it's on all the podcast platforms. You just search search RetroTube, and it's a brown television set with pink and blue lettering. We're very easily spotted. And we cover all sorts of things. So it's essentially the idea behind it is that uh, my friend Heather and I present each other, introduce each other to one of our favourite TV shows from growing up, Although she's younger than me, she's more into 60s shows. So she likes the big budget, glossy spy shows with the budget of two feature films starring big actors. Whereas I like the 70s, early 80s, creepy, creaky, hauntological BBC shows with a budget of £2.50 and they're held together by sellotape. Uh, So we have quite different tastes in television. So we... The, the thing we alternate episodes and introduce each other to one of our things and then then talk about it uh, and that's that's retro and occasionally i will have a guest so my most recent guest i forget who that was oh yes it was you it was me it was me and we had we had great fun talking about escaping tonight mm. which i i've since received bad press by people who like it because <laughs> we, we liked it we just had we just had points to make yeah, about we liked it so. with reservations yeah, because it's not as good as Paper House, basically. Just sum the episode up there. <laughs> it's all right. It's not as good as Paper House, yes, though. Yes, exactly. And also, uh, <sighs> we're, we're on Twitter at uh, retro underscore tube. The underscore is important. Do not go to the retro tube Twitter handle. I made that mistake. Yes. Once. Yes, don't, do, don't, don't do that. Don't even yeah. go there. Curiosity. No. Avoid. Avoid at all costs. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. And I hope you'll come back again and sit in, in the in the um, ghost train book tower thing. I would love to. Yeah, of back love to back. <laughs> okay. Oh well, you can find the you can find myself on Twitter again. There's a crucial figure in here as well at Crow Violets with an S because Crow Violet was taken by someone about six years ago who has never never used that account, which sure. really irritates me. You can find me at Crow Violets on Twitter or at my random sort of rambly blog site, which is crowviolet.com. That's in the singular. That worked. And obviously, you can find us here. We try and update at least once a week. So you can come along here at any time. Until then, Adam, one last time, thank you so much for coming along. Thank you. And we will see you all again on the ghost train another time. Good night, everyone. Good night.